Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and we're all about the rock and roll today, starting with our favorite rock and roll Hall of Famer, Duff McKagan, and the patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Hey, listen, uh, I know it's a little private, but I, I just bought a, a toilet brush. Yeah, to cut a long story short, I'm going back to paper. Thank you very much. <laughs> Oh, that was ridiculous. Oh, thanks to Duff for delivering the laughs every single Friday. That one got me. Always nice to start the weekend with a laugh. And like I said, Talk is Jericho is all about the rock today. It's the return of the classic album Clash. And this time we're dissecting and debating the police. We got their very first album, Outlandis to More, versus the last studio record they released, Synchronicity. Taking part in the discussion, I got Anthrax drummer Charlie Benanti, who's participated in a few classic album clashes in the past including one about his own band, Anthrax. I got Paul Gargano, a longtime industry vet who's also a huge police fan. And I got Ribo from the Winnipeggers talking some great stories about the crazy relationship between Sting and Stuart Copeland. Uh, He is, of course, a Talk is Jericho alumni and all the trials and tribulations they went through, fistfights, name-calling, all sorts of crazy stuff. Plus, we'll do the usual track-by-track, talk about the cover-up for both albums, songwriting, touring, how such a prolific and influential band managed to become so with just five albums under their collective belt. We talk about the police's influence on Rush and vice versa, another legendary Hall of Fame trio, of course, and the Beatles' influence on the police. Now, there is a clear winner at the end of this debate, but it might actually surprise you which album comes out on top when all is said and done. Uh, Of course, we couldn't be doing such great rock and roll if not for our fellow rock fans and sponsor, Geico. They're very rockin'. They love music as much as we do, and they love making life just a little easier for you. I know everyone listening rents or owns their home for the most part. It's hard work, but you know it's easy. Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policies. It's a good thing as well because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. Uh, It's Geico.com. They're rocking, and they're going to help you out. All right, let's get to it. It's the classic album class featuring the police's Outlandos to more versus Synchronicity, and it starts now on Talk is Jericho. Playing the part of a modern-day Charles Manson, here is Paul Gargano. <laughs> but we're, uh, we're just going to hop right into this. We, uh, Go good here. We got Paul Gargano and Charlie Benanti and, uh, and, uh, and Ribo, Ryan Ahoff. All of us huge police fans from different places. Oh, Charlie's got his notes. He's prepared. Oh, oh. <laughs> but we were just saying, Paul, obviously we're doing the police classic album clash, is that uh, the police was such a huge band, but to find people that are super knowledgeable and almost police fanatics, it's harder and harder because that was almost 40 years ago that they were a band. Yeah. They weren't active for the longest time either, which is crazy. I mean, you have all these bands. We get really accustomed to bands that just keep churning out material over and over again. And the police put out, what, like five records? I mean, they're one of the biggest bands in history, and they just don't have that body of content that everybody else has, which you would think would make it easier for people to dive into them because it's not like it's, holy, where do I start? Like the Rolling Stones, where do you start with the Rolling Stones? The police, it's really easy. You have five records, dive in. (laughs) I was trying to think of another band that has that much influence, that has that little amount of material. And I thought of of two other ones. You guys can jump in if you think of those. One of them is Guns N' Roses. Basically, 
four, three albums, four if you count Chinese Democracy. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is the Sex Pistols. One album. One album. Right? With B-sides and other little thing yeah a couple extras here but basically it's never mind the bullocks so you, you, you so you've got like police rock and roll hall of famers sex pistols rock and roll hall of famers guns and roses but the but, but but add them together and like you said it's it's less albums than freaking you know the beatles put out in in three years but what about boston yeah, yeah that's a good one albums, right? I mean, they're not i don't know the, the influence but man they they i mean they defined classic rock for a long time you know, are they are they as artsy as the police and everything else? Maybe not, but man, they had three records. Three records that we know, but then there was a fourth one. Uh, Walk on was in there. Third stage, right? Third stage is the third one. Yeah, yeah. Third stage was third. That was third. with Amanda, right? Yeah. yeah. Then there was Walk on. Yeah. There's not okay. What's the other one? There's like corporate America. There's one that that no one knows, right? Yep. <laughs> so there is like technically five, but three that everyone knows. But so. is it Boston? It's not like those, the uh, the first two records, that band. It's different, right? Yeah, it Brad just became on the third album, though, the singer. Yeah, it became like uh, like like Megadeth, like Tom Schultz and whoever he had playing with them at the time. You know, it, it actually Boston that? became Maine. They just. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> were not those Boston albums? Were they? They were kind of spread out over a long, pe- longer period yes. of time, weren't they? They're were like ten years apart or oh, something yeah. as well. Right. Well, think, had, the joke was every other president. <laughs> yeah, they, I think it was seventy six, seventy eight, and like eighty six or something along those lines. But but we're talking about the police. Uh, we've been waiting to do this for a long time, and. Um, are always our classic album clash and, and, and Charlie's done a few of them. Where is the first time you ever heard about the police and when did you kind of feel a relationship to them? And you can start Charlie. I heard Roxanne on the radio station in Long Island, I believe. Uh, and WNEW in New York was another one on Sundays. They would play things from England as a radio show and heard Roxanne and uh, completely grabbed me. It was just like, Everything about that song is just awesome. You know, the hook, mm-hmm. the drumming, the kind of reggae chords, you know, that that feel. It was awesome. I was hooked right away. I remember uh, Billy Joel saying that when he first heard that, he, he's, he was convinced that Sting was black. <laughs> he said, there's no way a white guy could sing like that. <laughs> he's very white. <laughs> the whitest exactly. of the white. He's the whitest of the white. He's even whiter than Billy Joel. <laughs> How about you, Rye? Was the first time that you remember hearing the police? Uh, I had uh, the Message in a Bottle uh, 45 that I used to play. So that was kind of my the first record I had by the police. And that was the only song I really knew uh, other than the B-side, which was Landlord on the upside <laughs> that side of that, which is a real ripper. I love that song, too. It's, it's but that's a, quite a difference there. But that message in a bottle, I think I've probably heard more than any other song in history. Like I've heard it so many times and I'm still not sick of that song. Like other mm-hmm. songs I, I'm sick of, but for some reason that comes on the radio or I'm in a supermarket and it comes on. I still, I still like it. There's just so many great things about that song. It's so original and the drumming's amazing and everything about it is very cool. How about you, Paul? I want to go to the show and I shop at this supermarkets you shop at if you hear <laughs> the police in this grocery store 
Get the police in our grocery stores here. But I, my, my first was uh, Zenyatta Mandata was my introduction. Uh, it would have been Don't Stand So Close to Me. It was one of the first cassettes I bought with my own money. And that was, yeah, that was that, Zenyatta. It was, I was not, I did not have, I, I, it's, it's strange because I have like, obviously the metal background, but I got into pop music first because I didn't have older brothers and I was a complete, still am a complete nerd. So it wasn't like I was hanging out with the older kids. Um, I literally was discovering music on my own on the radio and my mom, it was what station she had on in the house. So it was like, I fell into police, Duran Duran, culture club, all that stuff before I moved into mm. the metal world. So it was interesting. Like this was, this is my sweet spot when it comes to music. Well, that music was everywhere too. Like they would play it uh, on the radio. You would see kind of the early kind of uh, rock videos you would see. You would see. I remember, because uh, for me, it was like you said, Zenyatta Mondata, which I think is 1980. So I'm like nine years old. And I remember like, don't stand so close to me. They're all like dancing around. It's kind of like a, like a, like a modern day Beatles where they're just, oh, they're having so much fun. And, they're all blonde. And so I went to the store to try and find do 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 da 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 on, uh, by the way, which when I had Angus Young on Talk is Jericho, he was like, what do the lyrics even mean? It's like do 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 da 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 da. What does that mean? I'm like, <laughs> nothing like a 40 year old reference, Angus. <laughs> <laughs> but he just heard that. Exactly. Exactly. You just discovered that. (laughs) So I went to the store, like Target or whatever, like kind of a Walmart to find it. And it was all sold out. So I was like, well, I'll buy this other police song, which was Can't Stand Losing You, uh, backed up with Be My Girl Sally. So those were the first two police songs that I ever owned. And Rob, when you say you've heard Message, I heard Be My Girl Sally just as much because, and we'll talk about it. It's, It's very like... You know my name. Look up the number by the Beatles. It's 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 so weird. But if you're a Beatles fan, you're like, this is actually really cool. So "Can't Stand Losing You" was like my song. I think it was in grade five or six, and that was kind of like what I listened to. You listen to it, and you turn it over and listen to it again. <laughs> Every four minutes, you're turning the damn thing over. I was gonna say, uh, talking about like liking pop music, because uh, I kind of came from the pop. You know, same with Paul. I came from the pop world, and then I got into metal. And police, for some reason, was a kind of a crossover band. Right. You know, they they rocked a lot harder than uh, and differently than other pop bands at the time. You know, like Corey Hart or something. They mm-hmm. they had they had something to them that was the metal fans and us could grab onto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost kind of like we mentioned. I mentioned the Beatles before, but they, there is that element of Beatles where they have the reggae, they have the ska, they have the super syrupy pop melodies in the ballads, but there is a metal side to them, whether you're talking about, you know, Synchronicity 2 or, or even Synchronicity 1. I mean, those are, are pretty heavy tunes. So they always had that kind of a more of a, of, a, of a heavier, darker sound to them. Do you agree with that, Charlie? I do, but I, um, I don't know which one of them brought it. Was it hmm. Did he bring it or did Stuart bring it? I don't think Sting brought it. Right, right. Or maybe he pulled a McCartney and just said, you know, I want to try something really dark and and dirty. The other connection I have to the police is that the police was the first concert I ever went to in August. Yeah. August of 1983. I had a couple older friends that I hung out with and my mom let let me go to the concert with them. Uh, And the first band I ever saw live was the Thompson Twins because they opened for the police. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I didn't get to see the police until the reunion. 
So that was wow. Okay, yeah, yeah. Same. That was I didn't get to see them till that. Did you ever see them live, Charlie? I never saw them. So you never saw them in the early days, yeah. We were going to go see them at a, a Shea Stadium, '83, but we didn't go. And then the reunion happened, and I, I, I didn't feel like paying 500 bucks to go see the police. I thought, <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I thought that was a crime. Chris, you'll appreciate this. I was actually in Seattle doing something with Queensryche. I was doing like the last recorded interview with Chris and Jeff DeGarmo and Tate, and the police reunion was there Mm. that night. It was like it was one of the first nights of the tour, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going!" And I literally went down and bought a scalps ticket. I bought a scalps ticket by myself and went, and so I was losing my mind. I was like texting my wife through the whole thing, going, "Oh my That's god, awesome. it's the police! It's the police!" <laughs> well, it was funny because Ribo and Charlie and I were talking beforehand about the reunion, and remember, remember my uh, wise cousin Chad? He joined the police fan club at that time. Where you remember that? Right? You're supposed to get like cheaper tickets or something. And all it ended up costing was like twenty seven ninety nine a month. <laughs> Like six months, <laughs> didn't get anything for it. <laughs> nice. did, he, did he get like an identification card that said he was a member of the police, the police army? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Decoder ring. <laughs> oh, oh Drink God. your Ovaltine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like we said, the, the, the band of this influence of such a short period of time, but, um, you know, two of the records that they did, I, I thought it would be cool to do kind of their first record, Outlandus, Demore, and then their last record, Synchronicity, even though it was only five years apart. So, um, which once, which once again, to see the development of this band, it's almost like a mini Beatles in that they just did so much in such a short period of time. Definitely. The Beatles comparison, did you bring it up earlier? Because that was the one thing, especially going back and like outlandish in particular like there's just so much you hear the beatles in there you really do i mean it's it comes oh, through I, I i i became a beatles fan later in life i didn't grow up on the beatles but it's just crazy because you notice their influence in so many places and i mean there's police songs that you would think could be beatles songs like if the beatles were writing an album at that point it could be a police song i totally agree with that that makes sense oh, absolutely <laughs> There's also a, a real kind of dichotomy between the two bands in that what was their genius was also their demise. And that was kind of the relationship between Stuart Copeland and Sting, similar to John Lennon and Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. in that Stuart brings Sting into his band, John brings Paul into his band, and then slowly loses control as the guy that he brings in takes over the whole show. And I think that caused a lot of animosity between Stuart and Sting. And that's why they broke up so quickly. Yeah. It's the struggle. Right. I mean, they, uh, it's a struggle. (laughs) Charlie just summed up the music industry (laughs) in three words. It's a struggle. (laughs) Would you say, right? But like you said, like that's, that's partially what makes great music is that there was that someone there that could, uh, you know, like in the case of the Beatles, like John could say to Paul, no, that's, that's a little too fluffy. Let's, let's get some grit here, you know, where Stuart right. could say, Hey, Sting, you know, that's a little, that's a little too lovey dovey. Let's, let's put some, you know, some fight into it and make it a little bit more energetic and stuff. And they literally did fight each other where to the point where Stuart broke uh, Sting's rib right before a gig and he played the whole show with a broken rib. <laughs> That's pretty intense. Yeah, they would go at it, man. I was like shocked to to 
to find out all that stuff and still write on his drum on his drum heads, you know. Fuck what off, you, you know. Yeah. And um, it's it's funny you said that, but if the Beatles would have stayed on tour, they may have broken up earlier. Mm. Mm. Because because maybe if, if the police didn't tour all the time, maybe they wouldn't have got on each other's nerves and maybe they would have <laughs> spread out a bit more. I would also say that might be one of the reasons why McCartney was probably can see the writing on the wall and said, let's get off the road so we don't, you know, kill each other. Right. And like Charlie just said too, uh, Sting would write or Stuart would write phrases on his snare drum. <laughs> I believe one of them was, what was one of them, Ribo? <laughs> phrases. Off you cunt was one. <laughs> and so every time he hit it, because Stuart was on talk as Jericho too, and said every time I hit it, I was taking out my aggressions on Stingo. <laughs> He'd also set up his symbols like to the side. He started setting them up to the like like you know horizontal. So his right. Uh, yeah. So uh, or vertical, so that he wouldn't have to look at Sting the whole show. Yeah, I remember that on the synchronicity tour because, like I said, you're talking from the mind of a 12 year old, but I literally remember. The whole stage was bathed in yellow, blue, and red, like the Synchronicity album cover. And whichever one was which, Sting was all red, Andy was all blue, Stuart was all yellow, and they stayed in their areas. So they might have moved around a lot, but I think you know, if Sting was in his area, Stuart could kind of blockade himself away from that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Atlantis Demore versus Synchronicity. And before we talk about the titles and the album cover art, let me tell you how I finally discovered new facts and stories about my family history that happened after I tried Ancestry DNA. An Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from, and Ancestors' billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. You might find a famous relative or maybe a photo of your great-grandmother as a little girl or proof that someone in your family was a rock star. Whatever you discover, it's sure to change the whole way you look at your family history and yourself. After all, the story of your family is the story of you. And you can order it right now at Ancestry.com slash Jericho. Ancestry can help you trace the path of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. Researching your history is a fun activity for the whole family. No other DNA test delivers such a unique interactive experience. And I know because, like I mentioned, I've done it. I took the Ancestry DNA test. I had a great time sharing my results with my family. There was a 2% Baltic, whatever that means. It made my kids more curious about where they came from. They started asking more questions about their relatives and their histories. And I shared my results with my aunt and my uh, goddaughter, Brittany, who have been our family historians on both sides of the family for all these years. It's helped them with our family tree, like I said, on both my mom's side and my dad's side. Easy to start making discoveries with Ancestry. Grab an Ancestry DNA kit and start a free trial to amplify your discoveries with Ancestry's billions of records. Start exploring your family story today. Head to Ancestry.com slash Jericho to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com slash Jericho. So the two records that we're talking about once again is Outlandos to More, which apparently is something that Miles Copeland who was uh, the manager of the police and Stewart's brother came up with, he was going to call the record police brutality. <laughs> but then he heard Roxanne and said, this is way more than just this punk new wave stuff. And so he, he came up with Outlandos Demore, which is a uh, combination of outlaw and commando of love. So it's the outlaws of love or the commandos of love, whichever side of the coin you, uh, <laughs> you, you think about. And that was released November 2nd, 1978 
uh, and Synchronicity came out June 17th, 1983. So not even five years later. Um, so as we do on the classic album Clash, we always talk about the covers first. And the first cover obviously was a little bit more basic of just the band um, kind of just hanging out, as we can see as I look. And of course, Synchronicity has the amazing color scheme and all that sort of stuff. Which cover do you appreciate more, Charlie? Uh, the first one. Really? Why is that? Uh, I just love the. They're all just so kind of young, except for Andy. But they all look uh, <laughs> very young, and they just have that look on their face, like you know, here we are, and just like we don't know what's what to expect. You know, their eyes are just you know. But there was always some weird mystique about Sting, though, back then. Mm-hmm. Why was his name Sting? Why did he wear that jump jumpsuit? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always wondered about those things. And uh, the one thing I'll say about it, because I used to, I used to like like listen to Bob certain Bob Marley songs, even when I was you know when I would hear them, and I always felt Sting had a lot of that Bob Marley quality. The way he would phrase yes. things was very, you know, reggae, and mm-hmm. uh, it was so. It was different, and you know, because of the police, I started to hear like the the selector and the specials and the beat and all that type of stuff, and then you know, Joe Jackson, all that music, Niccolo, Elvis Costello, I started to appreciate all that stuff coming from England. But that cover kind of, I don't know, just kind of symbolized that first record, just kind of like these three guys. You don't know if they were punk rock or what, you know? Yeah, even by their sound, you didn't know which one it is. Ryan, which cover do you like better? I'd probably say the uh, probably Synchronicity. Mm-hmm. I like the color scheme. Apparently, they released like sixty-three different versions of the album cover. Yeah, all all around and and just different. I don't know why they did that, but it seems like kind of a weird thing to do. Was it different pictures or different colors or what? I that, think there's some different pictures. The color scheme was a little bit changed so around. They basically all. Everything shifted across all of the oh, scripts. Oh, I see. So all this, and I literally, I was going to bring this up, so I'll just jump in with Ribo here. Like it, it was crazy. I, I'm a huge, I'm a vinyl junkie. Like I've, I've got like almost two thousand records on vinyl, and I'm obsessed with like variations and stuff. And this one is one that mystifies me. Oh, nice, very nice. This, the synchronicity, synchronicity is one of my favorite records of all time, and the cover amazes me because I don't understand the logic behind the variations that they put out. Like, mm. and it's almost, it's virtually impossible to collect them all. I mean, it's just to find them all. It's crazy. I mean, it's just it was such. I don't understand why they did it, and I was hoping somebody on the call today would know why they did it and be able to fill me in. But it's it's crazy. There's all those different variations of the cover. It's insane. That's that's what I was hoping too, Paul. And you got both <laughs> so far. <laughs> well, how many are there? How many are there? It's literally. I, I want to say he's right. There's like somewhere of like there's dozens. It's like I mean I think you said like sixty one or sixty three or something. Yeah, there's read a ton of different covers out there, and they're all just they're just slight differences. They're differences in you know in the in the film strips. It's crazy. Uh, I like, um, and I gotta agree that, that I, I I appreciate the. Uh, album cover of uh, of synchronicity because I like the fact that they use the color scheme as part of the live show, and that to me was the genius of it. I'm actually reading about it right now the album's original cover artwork designed by Norman Moore was available in 36 different variations. 
63 were dyslexic. (laughs) (laughs) And it says uh, different arrangements of the color stripes and showing different photographs of the band members taken by Dwayne Michaels. The most common version is Sting reading a copy of Young's Synchronicity, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. But even looking at it right here, they got some. One of them is yellow, blue, red. The other one is red, blue, yellow. So they really, uh, and probably the reason for it is just to try and sell as many copies to collectors as they can. I'm sure there's somebody out there that has all 36 or is trying to get them. It'll be it'll be like the, collecting all the different variations of the Led Zeppelin uh, in through the outdoor. Like except there's 36 of them. But yeah, I'll, it'll it'll be something I dive into at some point. But it's 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 crazy. It's you're collecting. You're a collector, Charlie. I'm surprised you haven't uh, delved into that. I wasn't a big, like, police collector. Like, if it gotcha. was the Beatles or Zeppelin, I'd probably have it. Just one more thing. Like, for me, and I, I synchronicity is, I prefer synchronicity, but I kind of feel like the, the two covers speak to the development of the bands, too, yeah. because it was a very punk. That first one was a punk cover. You know, that was very the three guys. You know, you looked at them visually. You saw who the band was, the short haircuts. It kind of spoke to what their music was. And Synchronicity, it was a simple cover. And I think the music was a lot simpler on that record, even though it wasn't simple music. Um, Synchronicity was more complex. Uh, I kind of consider Synchronicity kind of the police's version of the wall a little bit. And for me, at least. And I think the album cover depicted that, which is part of the reason why I like that. I mean, there's separation and isolation within the album cover on Synchronicity that I appreciate more over time as I appreciate Synchronicity more over time. So, but you know, the other thing about it is uh, the first album, it started the theme because the second album had the three of them on the cover, mm-hmm. in, you know, in a certain look. The third one, they're on the cover again, and then Ghost in the Machine completely wiped them off. Completely so here's yep. the return of the, of the three of them back on the cover. But not necessarily, though, because people say that the Ghost, Ghost in the Machine is a digital representation of each guy on the cover. Have you ever heard that before? Never heard that. All right, Rival, you've heard this one. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's those three guys there. You can sort of see their shaggy hairdos and everything. <laughs> so right now. It had to be pointed out to me, though, for sure. I, didn't I actually have a, ta- I have a tattoo of that because of that reason. But let me pull it up and show it, show it to you guys. So when you see the cover, right? And this is something like when you turn Dio upside down, it spells devil. You never notice it until someone pulls, pulls it up. <laughs> until they point it out. Then you're obsessed with it. So look, look. I, I can't zoom in on it, but you can see the three faces. And look, you can see to the to the left. Oh, wow. A mouth, a nose, and an eye. And that's kind of like uh, Andy's hair because it's normal. Right next to him, nose, mouth, eye, stings, uh, spiky hair. And then another one of nose, mouth, eye, and Stuart's kind of swept bangs hair you see that charlie i see it but i don't i'm not buying it (laughs) 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 okay charlie's like that's fake news (laughs) fake news one last thing i'll say about the cover as well is that um about Orlando's is that it's a punk cover but it's also a new wave cover and that's kind of what this band was at that point in time. They were a little bit punky, but they're far more kind of that, like you said, Charlie, like the specials and, and Susie and the Banshees kind of new wavy type punkish at that point in time. Yeah, they made people dance when you went to see them. Yes, you couldn't deny the, the pop hooks behind them. All right, here we go. It's the track by track battle. It's about to begin. We'll do Next to You versus Synchronicity 1 
right after I tell you where you can hear me telling some great stories about my wrestling career, Insight with Chris Van Vliet on YouTube. I'm sure you've seen at least one Chris Van Vliet interview on YouTube. He's very good. He's a TV host. He's interviewed pretty much everyone in the industry. But did you know he has a podcast as well? Like I mentioned, it's called Insight with Chris Van Vliet. He does a great job bringing up the best in his guests. He has really good questions. He's easy to talk to. He's got a great casual, friendly vibe to his show. It's not a formal interview. It's really more like two people just sitting around shooting the breeze. So I've been on his show. He's had The Rock, John Cena, Britt Baker, my former tag team partner, oh, that son of a bitch, MJF, even my boss, Tony Khan. He's got actors, Tom Cruise, anyone, musicians, many interesting people from the entertainment industry and beyond. And in every episode, Chris always pulls out useful pieces of advice from his guests that you can apply to your own life. Chris Van Vliet's show is actually one of the first interviews I did after I signed to AEW in January of 2019. Uh, we did that in the backseat of a car. Uh, get your mind out of the gutter. We, we had, I did a live podcast with Dory Funk, uh, and he came to uh, Florida, Ocala, where Dory's uh, wrestling school is. And uh, because there was no dressing room really to, to, to talk in, we talked in the backseat of his car. We had a great interview. You can check that out and other interviews on Insight with Chris Van Vliet. You can listen to wherever you're listening to Talk is Jericho right now. Find it on YouTube. Insight with Chris Van Vliet. For more info, go to chrisvanvliet.com. That's Chris, V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T dot com. Here we go, man. It's, it's the battle. Opening track, Next to You versus Synchronicity 1. Uh, Rybo, why don't you start? Which one do you choose? Oh, man, that's that's a tough one. They're both like, they both set the tone for, for each album. They're both super peppy songs. They, they kind of, you know, Next to You definitely has a the punk thing going for it. And that energy just right off the hop with Stuart coming in and the toms and everything like that. They, uh, it's funny because next to you, uh, they were saying to Sting that he, you know, don't write these, you know, loves. It's a love song. It shouldn't be a love song. They should say, I'm going to take a gun to you. That's what they wanted. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not going to sing that, you know. So they said, okay, just as long as you sing it with, you know, some angst and stuff like that. So Sting, you know, he really let it rip. Like that whole album, that whole first album, he's just, yeah. you can tell he's just pushing his voice really hard. He's kind of got that Lennon thing too when his when his voice breaks up. Like I really love that that style of singing. Uh, so, I mean, I, I just love that. It's weird too, though, because it's a punk song and it's got a slide guitar solo in the mm-hmm. middle. Which uh, Stuart said was old wave. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, but synchronicity one is just so so amazing that just you know, you as soon as you hear that song, that I know the rest of the album's coming, and it kind of excites me for that album, and it's just so peppy and that ride symbol thing at the beginning. And I just remember seeing that live too, uh, like the Synchronicity concert and just Stuart playing it and just looking like insane. Like he just killed someone or was going to kill someone. He's just looking into like, yeah, to nowhere. Right. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have to say Synchronicity, but I love them both so much. It's tough. I, uh, it's funny because they played next to you at, on the reunion tour as the final song, which was great. And they didn't play Synchronicity, which I felt that was missing from the set. Uh, and it is funny to see, Crazy Stewart at 23 or whatever he was in combination with Crazy Stewart at 53 because he still has a crazy face, but now he's got giant glasses and a headband. <laughs> and it's not quite as crazy when he's got these big... It's like Phil Rudd. The only guys that can get away 
with playing drums while wearing glasses in an arena is Phil Rudd and Stuart Copeland. <laughs> That's it. Charlie, don't ever wear glasses on stage. <laughs> you can't get away with it. But but like like Rye said, I think Next to You is great. And if it was up against another song, I'd probably choose it. But Synchronicity, man, that's the first first song I ever saw live by the band that I paid to see. And uh, to this day, when it goes... And then, of course, the classic, super pretentious sting of using the term Spiritus Mundi. <laughs> that was the lyric. <laughs> Which means... Hold on. It means uh, world spirit and a muse of sorts that provides inspiration to the poet or writer. I mean, come on, Sting. <laughs> did because I could go check online and look, but it just came up now. Did they play Synchronicity in its entirety when you saw them on that tour? Yes, or they just opened. They did. So they did the album in its entirety. Oh, no, 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 oh, no. Not okay, the album. Okay. They played a lot of it. Uh, probably six so or they seven didn't songs. Play straight through. Okay. No, I, I like. Yeah, they didn't play. They didn't play straight through. Nobody wants to hear Miss. But, but they opened with Synchronicity. That's yes. why I was curious. They okay. usually they usually do Synchronicity one and then right into Synchronicity two. I believe. Oh wow. No. Yeah, nobody wants to hear Miss Grudenko live. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie yeah, might feel different. Too. Me too. I love that. <laughs> uh, Charlie, which 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 is your choice? Next to you is just uh, to me. It's a classic song, and how could you not move to that song when it comes on? You know, we did a cover of it too because we loved it so much. Really nice. I didn't yeah. know that. And uh, you know, it's the first song on their record, and it's just like that is just an amazing startup. Damn, it just hits you. I'm going to say Synchronicity 1. It's it's weird. It starts off and it sounds kind of like a world music album. It doesn't sound like The Police to me, you know? Yeah. And that's why I said earlier, I'm not a big fan of Synchronicity. It didn't sound like that. It sounded like the what's coming from Sting's solo, you know, record. You're right. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Yeah, I just didn't like it that much. So I'm going with you. Next to you. All right, Paul. I'm. I think uh, this might be a cop out, but I think as a song, next to you. However, as an opening song on an album, I think Synchronicity. So when you're looking at it as the opening song on the album, I just I feel like Synchronicity just sets it sets the table for what's coming. And I, on its own, I might listen to Next to You before I listen to Synchronicity. But I think Synchronicity works better as an opening track and works better in setting the table for what's coming. So I'm going to go with Synchronicity. So you right. think it syncs up better? I think yeah. it syncs the album. Yes, Synchronicity syncs up. Yes. I, I, was, I was just I reviewing. Think it stinks up the album. <laughs> Synchronicity. It's a, really, it's a really good point, though, that you brought out about Sting solo material because this really, this album really does. It Sting solo material, especially that first record, feels like it's an extension of Synchronicity. Exactly. More more than Synchronicity, yeah. it feels like an extension of the four Police albums before it. And you can see that coming. Another reason why the band broke up. Because I was even the- just looking at the set list for the tour, and they played eight songs off Synchronicity. So, I mean, that pretty much sums. And the only songs they didn't play were the ones written written by the other guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think too, like uh, the Atlantis is like, they're just trying to find their sound. They don't have their sound yet. They're kind of, it's, you know, it's supposed to be a punk right. punk band. That's what Stuart wants, but it, it quickly changes and it's not really that. So they're trying to find themselves. And then by synchronicity, they're actually trying to like get away from themselves. You know what I mean? They, mm-hmm. they had like, there's bands like men at work and Wang Chung that were kind of stealing their, the reggae sort of yeah. pop thing. And they, they didn't really want to sound like that anymore. So they kind of were, 
we're moving away from that and definitely towards you know Sting was moving towards his own solo material well and it's like you said too I mean it was still Stewart's band without Landis or at least you know Stewart and Sting's by the time synchronicity rolls around there's no question whose band it is oh know? absolutely all right track two this is kind of a, a monster of a tune in so lonely versus walking in your footsteps footsteps a song that actually uses the word brontosaurus in the lyrics <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not iron maiden i'm not sure if i want to hear that in a song <laughs> what do you think paul i think i gotta go so lonely on this one um yeah. i'm a i love walking in your footsteps but so lonely uh, you put it best you said monster i mean that's just so lonely just that's a that's a powerhouse it, it crushes and uh, you know what? It crushes the brontosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going so lonely. It's funny um, walking your footsteps, and they, you see it live because they, they break it down, and it's all played. And Sting's actually playing a pan flute. And I guess from, from what I heard, and I think Ryan could back me up on this, that Sting was one of those guys, much like McCartney, who could go find an instrument and mess around with it. Charlie's probably the same mess around with it for 20, 30 minutes. And suddenly he's ready to play it on an album. And uh, that's why Stuart said that sting is so good. He should have been drowned at birth. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I got to go with so lonely. That's just one of the greatest tunes. And um, like you said, Charlie, that was actually written off of a uh, Bob Marley riff that sting was listening to. He wanted to do kind of a, Bob Marley and the Whalers type of a vibe. And something else that I kind of heard is that when Sting was first, this could be urban legend because he'd already been playing for a long time, but singing and playing at first, Sting wasn't uh, uh, as good as he would become. So he used to leave a lot of spaces in between his bass lines to sing the melody lines in there. And when you hear So Lonely and and, and Bring on the Night and uh, Walking on the Moon, it seems like that's a bump, like like, like So Lonely, like, but so but like, there's not a lot of riffage there. It's more of just keeping it open so he can slice in with his with his melodies. Rye, uh, I'm taking so lonely. So, what do you think, Rye? Uh, well, I'm gonna have to say so lonely. I mean, that's their that's the f- police format right there. Which they got the reggae kind of verses, the punk rock, uh, you know, chorus, uh, tons of you know, just the layered vocals and everything there. Uh, I-, I love walking in your footsteps too, which is which is great. But uh, so lonely is really you know that that's the formula right there and i love the live version uh, that live album they did in 95 that was released is just amazing tons of improvising on there and stuff i love yeah. it and right at the beginning of that <laughs> song uh here I'll, I'll say i'll say sting's part and you say what Stewart says <laughs> this is called no wait i'm so lonely i can see why <laughs> And the other ver- and the other one and the other one is you you sing it Ribo you you intro you be staying I'll be Stewart I'm so lonely I'm not surprised <laughs> There we go <laughs> you, can hear, you can hear Stewart say that kind of on the drummer's mic off off air <laughs> And then Sting laughs awkwardly he's like <laughs> <laughs> Charlie which which one you got Uh so lonely or or Walking in Your Footsteps. I do like Walking in Your Footsteps. I love the way that song just starts out. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's, it sounds like it could be, uh, you know, a world music record, the way it starts off. Um, Great point. But, I mean, I got to go with So Lonely. Look, think about the way that song starts. starts on the upbeat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's like, uh, right there, it's like... <laughs> but there's a guitar solo in this song, too. Yes. 
and I love when Andy does guitar solos because they come out of nowhere. Mm. It's like, wow, something just happened here, but I can't, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was a guitar solo. But that's Andy Summers for you. You know, he just throws in these things that is just so, wow, that's awesome. I, I love that. I got to put that back. But come on, so long is, it's, it's the police. It's, it's yeah. a signature song. I, I find it, see if you guys agree with me on this, that Andy Summers very much reminds me of Alex Lifeson in the way he plays, right? Like, and he's so overshadowed by Stewart as a drummer and Sting as a bass player and singer, Getty, Neil Peart. And Andy, much like Alex, he plays in moods and phrases and shades. But once in a while, especially later Alex Lifeson, but, but when he r- rips out those solos, like this, obviously Alex is probably much better at that than, than Andy is, but... Andy's a great guitar player, man, but most of the time he just sits in the back and chords and lets Sting kind of play the leads, but not in this case. Can we touch on that? Because you just mentioned Please. Rush, and I always felt Rush took some of the police stuff and made it Rush. Ah, yeah. In what way? Oh, dude. Listen to Neil, especially mm. on the Signals record. Hmm, which is right at that time. It sounds like Stewart's kit that he's playing. You know, he tuned it a little differently, like Stewart. Alex got this texture now, like sounds like Andy Summers a bit. There's a delay and there's all these things going on. And uh, it's a great point. It's not the outfield, but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely like, wow, they influence. And then they ended up using the producer, Pat- Hugh Padgham. Hugh Padgham. And you're exactly right. Cause I forgot to mention that the first Atlantis Demore was produced by the police and then synchronicity produced by the police and uh, and uh, Hugh Padgham, like you said, wow, who did do those Rush records? So that's a great point because that was the same time frame as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely and, all and those and like high hats. Also, point out it was a trio. Yes, right, exactly. Right next up, it's Roxanne versus Oh My God. Not sure that's even a contest, but we'll jump into it anyways. But first, I want to say thank you to Diamond Dallas Page and his DDBY program, and remind all you guys to check out Dallas's new documentary, Relentless, available on Amazon Prime. It's the inspiring story about how DDP created his life-changing DDP yoga program. I share more of my own DDPY story in the documentary. I know all of you longtime listeners have heard me talk about DDPY for years now, what it's done for my career. I do DDPY everywhere and anywhere, backstage at AEW, backstage at Fozzie Gigs, in hotel rooms, living room, even in my own front yard. It's a killer workout you can do at your own pace as well. It's good for any age, any skill level, and you don't have to be an athlete to do DDP yoga. And Diamond Dallas Page is so sure you'll love his DDPY program that you'll get 20% off the DDPY app when you sign up for a free seven-day trial. Just download the DDPY app and get started. You'll get access to hundreds of workouts, live workouts from the DDPY Performance Center in Smyrna, Georgia, and you'll get some personal motivation from DDP himself. You can connect a Bluetooth heart monitor to keep track of your workout data. You can stream the app to your TV so you can do the workouts on your big screen. Download the DDPY app today. You can get it for iOS or Android. Then go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho to sign up for seven days of free access to the DDPY app and take advantage of the 20% off the DDPY app as well. You get seven days for free and 20% off the DDPY app right now, ddpyoga.com slash Jericho, and watch the inspiring story about how Dallas created the DDPY program in the new documentary, Relentless, available for free right now on Amazon Prime. Let Dallas and DDPY change your life like he has for thousands and thousands of others, including myself. Get on the path to healthy living, get in the best physical and mental shape of your life, and stay there. Start today at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. 
Okay, we move forward to track three, which is, I mean, gosh, I'd even compare this. Roxanne. You have to go. (laughs) Roxanne versus Oh My God. (laughs) I like Oh My God better. (laughs) No, no, I'm not. But the one thing I'll say about Roxanne is when Eddie Murphy did it (laughs) in 48 hours, in uh, what, what, not trading places, 48 hours. 48 48 hours. hours. Dude, that was the one of the best parts of the movie when he sang <laughs> Roxanne. Um, do you guys know that story about the beginning of Roxanne, the laugh and the piano part? Tell us. Is this true that Sting accidentally sat on the piano, like leaned back and, and sat on the piano and they left it in and he laughs? Yes. yes. That's true, Uh-oh. right? That's, 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 that's what, what it says everywhere online. Yeah, he kind of sits on it and goes, brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they left it once again. Yeah, I mean, there's really no comparison. I do like "Oh My God." I remember when I was a kid, when I bought this record. I just love this kind of a jam at the end, and Stewart's just losing it, and like with the with the saxophone solo. It's really cool. It's a, it's a good tune, but I mean, how do you compare with with Roxanne? That'd be like you know. Maxwell's Silver Hammer versus Yesterday or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's so weird that it's number three that song right i don't know about the way they pace the record that's another thing the the pacing of the record is strange but i kind of especially the older i get i feel like i identify with synchronicity more and more i feel like there's just and again maybe it's because it's more of that sting becoming the pretentious scholar solo (laughs) artist (laughs) <laughs> instead of like the punk rock new wave thing um but the i feel like the pace oh my god works where it is as a yeah. lead into everything else that's coming up and it's yeah. it's this this album definitely wasn't you know if we're putting together records from an A&R perspective we're putting singles in a certain spot you know you're you're leading with your strongest song you've got a strong song third you've got a ballad in a certain place this album just completely like no album before it just defied all of that like you flip to side b and it's single 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 and their albums didn't do that before and i can't help but feel like that was intentional i think too like if you're looking at walking in your footsteps followed by mother and gradenko right before synchronicity too that they needed the uptempo kind of a rocker there yeah so it fits the point like i said sting probably wrote this song in five minutes i don't know but to me, it's still a great tune. It's just not worthy of, of, of Roxanne's status. You know, it's, 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 it's just it's angry and frustrating, which is like it also just to the whole tenor of the out the record. But yeah, yeah, I right. feel I feel, like, I feel like it kind of sets up the rest of the album kind of nice. But it also seems kind of like a throwback from Ghost in the Machine. It's a very Ghost in the Machine mm. type track where it's got the horns. It's kind of funky, hungry for you type thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if that was the first song written, but track. Uh, then we go to the fourth song, Hole in My Life versus uh, well, Mother. There you go. <laughs> now we start wondering. You're like, I, this is why I love the classic album class. You're like, oh, it's obviously synchronicity until you do the track by track. Right. So now here we are with, with Hole in My Life once again versus versus Mother. Now, Mother is one of those kind of strange uh, Andy Summers tunes. And there's three of them that I can think of is uh, Be My Girl Sally, which I mentioned earlier, and we'll talk about. There's Mother, and of course, then there's Friends, uh, which was the B-side of do 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 da 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 So Andy probably loved that, the fact that all these huge singles had his song as the B-side. I probably heard Friends more than I heard any other song on, on Zenyatta besides the do 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 Nice. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll start off with this one. I mean, Mother is, you know, once again, it's a strange, almost Zappa-esque type of a tune. It's fine, but... Uh, 
I mean, Hole in My Life is is much more kind of one of those early Sting kind of reggae, new wave type things. With like, yep, yep. So uh, I'm taking Hole in My Life. What do you think, Rye? Awful. I got to go Hole in My Life too. I mean, what, great, great live song too to just get everyone. To, yep, yep, yep. You know, yep. just getting everyone jump. It's such a bouncy song. You just see people just you know bouncing up and down on pogo balls before there were pogo balls, right? But, Gray whistle uh, test. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Mother is also pretty interesting, too. It's like an odd time. It's in 7-4, which is they don't do too many things like that. It's kind of cool Middle Eastern kind of solo in there. And it does kind of like Charlie's saying, like, kind of have that that world music kind of feel. Synchronicity sort of has that. And it starts getting a little bit uh, exotic with Mother. Kind of gives you that little touch of this exotic type music that is going to come later at the very end of synchronicity with the last couple tracks. Mm-hmm. They're very, it's also also some two points I want to make this is some great lyrics. Like every, every girl I talk to becomes my mother in the end. Like, boy, ain't that the truth, right? <laughs> we're all terrified of our respective others. Um, <laughs> but the other one is that, that once again, when Stuart did talk as Jericho, he said that because he grew up, you guys know that his dad was the head of the CIA and he grew up kind of uh, in Iran, I think it was, right? Is that where he grew up? Somewhere in the Middle East. Iraq, yeah, somewhere. He said that his early years of drumming had that Middle Eastern feel because that's where he was living. So he always had that Middle Eastern uh, mind frame when he was putting together his percussion parts, which, Charlie, like you said, you've mentioned world music many times. That's where it comes from is his background of growing up in, in the Middle East. And his solo albums kind of go even deeper. Right, right into that. Charlie, what do you choose between Hole and uh, Mother? I like um, Hole in My Life reminds me of a Beatles song, especially yeah. that break section. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. And yeah, I like that song too. Mother, I also like. This is, this is a tough one because I do think this is a really good anti-summer song. That line you just, you just mentioned, Chris. It's like... Andy had that Monty Python type of thing about it. Right on, bingo, yeah. And he'd hit with those things. I'd bounce her in the kitchen, I'd bounce her in the hall. <laughs> you know, it was it was just funny. It could be a skit on a, on a Python show, you know? Um, right. And yeah, his playing on it is really, really good too. So I don't know. I'm going to go with a hole in my life. It reminds me of a, of a Beatle tune. So yeah, I'm going to go with hole in my life. By the way, so far, every song is on the first album for me. For you. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Paul? This is, I, I want, I really, really want to say mother on this one, but I think I got to go with Hole in the Life. I mean, like Charlie said, there's definitely a Beatles esque quality to this. The mother to me almost plays out more like an interlude than it does like a full song. Like it, it's, it's like a bridge. Right. Um, yeah. And it, it's, I love it. I think it's great. It's powerful. It's like one of the most more jarring moments on the record for me. Like it always just snaps you to attention. And like you said, the lyric about it, it becomes my mother. Uh, it's just like you feel it. You go like, God, I hear you. But at the same time, it's just it's not like a full song. It feels like it's more of like an interlude to me. So I'm going to go with Hole in My Life for that reason. And I get that that Beatles-esque quality to Hole in My Life. Just It's just infectious. Yeah, and, and like you said, Charlie, there's a real kind of uh, uh, first side dominance over uh, over synchronicity, but that ends very quickly. But um, is it fair? Is it fair though to judge? Because is it fair to judge an album by which song you like more? Because I feel like there's also a cohesiveness that goes into the records. Like if if at the end of this, I mean, you know, 
Synchronicity is one of my favorite records of all time. At the end of this, if track by track, I like songs more on the first record, does that mean it's a better record? Or oh, does it like, cohesive? it's always interesting having this conversation because I've done it with Kiss records before where it doesn't work. It just doesn't work that way. Well, and the thing is with the classic, a classic album clash is that we both, we all agree that these are both great records. It's just, you know, we're delving into it and, and, and kind of seeing it. It's like the nerdy show. nuances of it at this point. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, so um, it, does, it doesn't really matter because we both agree that, that I put on either one of these records and love every song. So uh, here, here's one that I always forget how it goes until I hear it, which is Peanuts up against Miss Gridenko, which is Stewart's. Uh, uh, actually, both these songs are Stewart's contributions uh, to, to each record. Stuart and Sting wrote Peanuts, and Stuart, of course, wrote Gradenko on his own. What do you think, Paul? God. This is kind of like... I don't want to say this is the who cares for me, but this is kind of like the, it's like, and they're both the last song on side one. It's just like, just we'll put it away. But, um, God, uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Miss Gradenko again. It's, it's getting the edge because of the whole, the way the album plays out for me. I feel like it, the, the flow, it has a better flow to it within the context of the rest of the record. And I just, Peanuts is one that I just don't need to hear all the time. It, it's just, it's, it's, I feel like this is where the delineation starts between the two records because this is where like synchronicity just ramps up and becomes a behemoth with songs. I mean, side two of synchronicity is just oh, insane. We'll, it's probably, we'll probably the there. greatest side two ever. And I feel like this is where it starts. You know, I mean, it's just Peanuts to me, just, it just doesn't, doesn't do it, right? Anko. Who do you think, Charlie? I like elements of Peanuts, the sting towards the end where he's really pushing it, pushing mm-hmm. his voice, you know? But, yeah, like Paul said, it's like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with Mrs. Uh, Miss Kredenko because this song reminds me of something that should have been on Regatta de Blanc. Mm-hmm. And Andy does a great solo in this right. song. Yeah. So I'm going to go with... This is the first time I'm picking the synchronicity song. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Rye? I agree. I think uh, the one thing I really like about it, it, it does sound like a track from Regatta. So it's kind of nice that they're, you know, you get, you get Mother, which is kind of saying, okay, they're not all going to be hits on this album. It's this, obviously, that one's not a hit. But Mr. Danko, too, is just kind of a throwback and it's got that cool guitar stuff. And the, the drums are amazing and that there's all these like really cool things going on there. Peanuts is about Rod Stewart, which I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of funny. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, I guess he, Sting was kind of he used to idolize him and then thought he kind of sold out or whatever. Jeez, <laughs> Jeez. sound familiar? The <laughs> but uh, there's also that weird solo in there. Like, what is that? It's like an oboe or a, a melodica <laughs> or a sousaphone. Like, what is that? It hurts. <laughs> it does. <Whatever> it but so I'm going to go Gradenko for sure. And it also, I kind of like how as far as synchronicity uh, going together, like how all the songs kind of flow and they're all, it's kind of like a concept album. Like, like Paul said, it's kind of like the wall a little bit. And you got mother where he's talking about the phone call, which is like a, a, a star fall, a phone call. It joins all right. And then Miss mm. Gradenko is kind of almost like one of the, uh, you know, one of the office girls that pouts and preens like, uh, Cheap tarts on a red light street. Red light street. You know? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love Gradenko. I think it's great. You know, I walked in here uh, thinking peanuts, but Miss Gradenko, man, it's, it's, you know what I love about it too is it's a Beatles song. 
And what I mean by that is it's super hooky, it's super poppy, and it's two minutes long. And in 1983, nobody was writing a two-minute song where most of the early Beatles stuff is very short. It punches you, it gets you, and it goes. If it, if it was a four-minute song, it wouldn't work, but it's perfect for, for a two-minute song. And I always wondered who Miss Gradenko is. It had to be someone that Stuart knew when he was a kid, maybe a babysitter or a science teacher or something along those lines, you know? What an awkward name. Like, you know, that's not going to be a hit. Like, here's the new <laughs> hit by the police. Miss Gridenko. Miss Gridenko. Exactly. <laughs> All right. We got Can't Stand Losing You versus Synchronicity 2 coming up. That's a tough one. But first, I want to welcome another brand new sponsor of Talk is Jericho, and that's IP Vanish VPN. You know, I know what you're thinking. What is IP Vanish? Why do I need it? If IP Vanish is a virtual private network, a VPN for short. And a VPN is a super important tool that helps you safely browse the internet. You can use a VPN on your computer, tablet, smartphone, even on things like Fire Stick when you're streaming media. When you use a VPN, all your data is encrypted. What you're reading, what you're searching, what you're watching, whatever you're doing on the internet, it's encrypted. Nobody can see it. It's important because what you're doing on the internet isn't my business. It's no one else's business either. IP Vanish helps you remain anonymous and secure on the internet. And IP Vanish is offering you guys an incredible deal, 50% off, just $375 for the first month or $44.99 for the year. Here's everything you get with IP Vanish. Check this out. Anonymous IP addresses. This means your personal IP address can't be tracked by anyone on the web. You can circumvent any online censorship. IP Vanish has more than 1,500 servers in over 70 locations. Get protection while using public Wi-Fi. Remember, with IP Vanish, all your data is encrypted so no one can snoop on what you're doing. 24-7 support. Email them, chat with them, call them. The IP Vanish team is there to help. Just go to ipvanish.com slash Jericho. Claim your 50% savings. They have plans starting at just $375 or $44.99 a year. This is the time to sign up with this discount and their current promotional offerings. You can get a VPN for 65% off their usual offering. IP Vanish is the best of the best. It's rated 4.7 out of 5 on Trustpilot, and that's with over 6,000 reviews. Show these guys some love. They're great, and they'll help you and your family uh, stay safe online. Go to ipvanish.com slash Jericho to take advantage of the 50% savings. That's ipvanish.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Start protecting yourself online. All right. Now we go to uh, another uh, monster. Uh, actually, it's, it's this one's a tough one for me. It's Can't Stand Losing You versus Synchronicity 2. That could be the hardest one on the record for us to have to choose. Who wants to start with that one? Basically... This is impossible. Right. (laughs) Because it is. Uh, Can't Stand Losing You is, that's a signature police song. Everything about it is the police. That's that's their sound. That's their brand, you know. But then you hear Synchronicity too. That's the police, dude. That is the police. This is a hard one. I don't don't even think I could. I'm going to go with Synchronicity too. Yeah. Only, I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because of the video. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, with the with the dark Scottish lock, kind of like uh, I don't know, apocalyptic looking Mad Max type of themes. You know, I just I love it, and I love the way Stewart plays in this song. He holds it back. Hmm. He probably wanted to rip at, at one point, but he just held it back so much. You know, and uh, 
Yeah, it's a great song. Great riff, too. So metal. Mm, very metal. And it's funny because every band that's tried to cover it ever since, you mentioned Queens, right? I know there's been a few. Nobody even comes close. Nobody even comes close I to this. Touch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, you know what? I wouldn't touch any police song. I mean, well, nothing from this record, at least. You know what I mean? Because this is very different level Stingo type stuff, you know? Yeah. I'm going to go, jeez, uh, gosh. Synchronicity 2, probably one of the greatest sets of lyrics written of all time. And Rybo and I have talked about this at length, about how we think, well, I, I won't speak for Ryan, but you can agree with me. We, we, we feel, I feel, that the song is about a guy who's ready to kill his family. And he's got this mundane existence of, you know, just uh, grandmother screaming at the wall, shouting above the din of Rice Krispies. It's, my life is just boring and terrible and packed like lemmings into shining metal boxes and his life... Uh, it's just, you know, it's, there's nothing going on and daddy's staring into the distance and deep down inside, there's something crawling from the slime at the bottom of a dark Scottish lake, right? Um, and then finally, the, 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 the monster comes to surface and there's a shadow on the door of a cottage on the shore of a dark Scottish lake. And this is the murderous intent that's finally come from the depths, which has now risen and now it's about to come out and, and, and he's going to kill somebody. You know, and that's really to get really deep about it. And then, of course, the other great line of um, every single meeting with the so-called superiors is a humiliating kick in the crotch. I mean, it's so just degrading and just. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I love Can't Stand Losing You. That might be my second favorite police song of all time. But Synchronicity 2 is my favorite. So that takes the uh, that takes the cake. What do you think, Rye? Very interesting. Actually, now that we're talking about it, I mean, it's kind of interesting because both these songs are almost like a suicidal. They're both kind of right. like suicide in a way, right? Or homicide or something. I don't know if I agree with you 100%. I like your theory of, of uh, the synchronicity lyrics, but to me, it's a more broader uh, idea of just, uh, you know, Sting's kind of um, political uh, kind of outlook or environmental look outlook on life that where hey we think there's this thing that's that's uh you know this Loch Ness monster that no one really believes but it is there and it is slowly creeping towards us and if we just try to pretend that it doesn't exist and we just pretend that nothing's going on eventually it's going to come up and it's going to just devour hmm. all of us so I kind of think of it as more of a big bigger uh, not bigger picture thing oh, although it's it's a very personal story and and I love the lyrics they're great and I have to say can't stand losing you is one of the best police songs and it's probably the best song on outlandus but synchronicity too is maybe the you know maybe my favorite song so i'd have to go synchronicity too and i actually point out too that uh they when they released uh can't stand losing you it had the uh the cover of it was stewart standing on a block of ice with a noose around his neck <laughs> and so it got pulled from the shelves and stuff like that too they didn't want to release it because of course he was still so trying to put punk thing you know as the ice melts then he would hang That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> paul i think this i think this song is a great example of like when everything about the police comes together and you you brought up you brought up like people trying to cover it and like well, that Queensryche cover is a great example i feel like i could talk ill of Queensryche because i love them so much i can get away with it it just came across like a bunch of people sing delivering a song with yes. absolutely no context and no 
feeling. It was just kind of like that was just it was just bland and just Jeff's just delivering lyrics. He wasn't connecting with them. And the, the beautiful thing about this song, it is my favorite police song because of the lyrics. I'm a lyric guy. I'm not a musician. I'm a I, I love words. This this song is literally one of the most perfectly written set of lyrics I've ever seen in music. And like the dinner, just shouting over the din of our Rice Krispies. It's like, God, even as a kid, when I didn't know what any of this meant, that's that line meant something. It was like, mm-hmm. you got it. It was just like, cause the snap crackle pot, the line about the wife, just like the mundane, like shouting over the mundane minutia of her day. I, I agree with Ribo. I don't know that this is technically about somebody going and, you know, going to kill their family. I feel like this whole record is about trying to find that connection in the world that we're just not finding. And this this song is just, you know, you've got your perfect life. You've got your kids. You've got your wife. You've got your house. You've got your job. And you know what? You hate your life. It's mm-hmm. just you're not happy. And I feel like it's about trying to find that connection that, we're, that so many people are missing. And... Uh, Everything about it is just it's just an attack on that nine to five blue collar existence that is crammed down people's throats. And I just I think it's I literally think it's a perfect song. Just just to add one thing in there uh, is is Andy's guitar solo. His choices for this solo are, are just brilliant because he could have played a shredder solo. He could have played whatever, but he chose something that really fits the vibe of the song. It almost sounds like if you want to go the Loch Ness Monster route, and I've always been obsessed with the Loch Ness Monster, it sounds like what might be playing was as the Loch Ness Monster is underneath the surface coming up. Like, it's just, dude, it's perfect. It's brilliant. The chemistry of everybody working together. Like, you don't need an over-the-top guitar solo. You don't need, I mean, everything just melds perfectly. But, but, in this. But a lot of guitar players wouldn't do that. Like Charlie said earlier, to, to play that restrained, knowing that you've got, you don't get a lot of solos when you're in the police. Here you go, Andy. Here's your four bars. What am I going to do? I'm going to make weird squealing noise. Like it's a very Alex Lifeson thing who probably got that from, from, from him. I, I'm just going to do little weird, moody, textury shade, shading things. Atmosphere. Atmosphere, yeah, right, atmosphere. Charlie? Definitely. Exactly. He's great at that. And also has that kind of industrial sound to it as well, right? Which is that? Which is the lyrics? Yeah, yeah, the lyrics. Yeah, and it's I kind do. of neat because "Can't Stand Losing You" too is a kind of a the suicide. You know, he's a young teenager with suicidal thoughts, and then the synchronicity too is like a middle-aged man going through right. suicidal thoughts. I've always loved the line, "And my LP records, and they all scratched. <laughs> they all scratched. They all scratched." <laughs> <laughs> It's, but I think that's the darkness of the police too, which is what it's, it's the heaviness, if you will, you know, you don't have to yes. be, you don't have to be a metal band to be heavy. That's and right. there was just, there was always a heaviness to the police. And that was something I identified with really, really early. They weren't bright and poppy, you know, before, before I got into black Sabbath, before I got into heavy music, the police were pop, but they weren't happy. They were they were on the radio, but they were heavy and they were sonically. You knew you were hearing something that was deeper than typical top 40. It's deeper, like you said, Rabo, deeper than Corey Hart, deeper than Men at yeah. Work. It was there was something once again. The songs were it, right up there. It goes back to the Beatles comparison. The Beatles always had that darkness. And I think a lot of it stemmed from the relationship, good and bad, with Stuart and Sting. All right. That brings us to Truth Hits, Everybody versus Every Breath You Take, a very dark song. I'll start that debate after this friendly reminder from NHTSA. 
it can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you may feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks, but don't do that ever. To the naked eye, trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they are, and they can't stop quickly. Remember, even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes instantly, it can take the train over a mile to stop. Think about that, over one mile to stop. By that time, it's too late, and the result is potentially deadly crash. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it ends in disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way, and you just need to remember one thing, stop, because trains can't. All right, now we do, this is where it starts getting to be a, a massacre, possibly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> truth hits everybody versus every breath you take. <laughs> I Next. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, every breath you take, it's one of those songs like Enter Sandman or You Shook Me All Night Long or Stairway to Heaven. You're like, I never want to hear this song again until you hear it again. And you go, holy shit, this song is just amazing. The only thing that I'll say, and obviously I'm choosing every breath you take, is that um, that ding, 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 that guitar part was written by Andy, and Sting used it and never gave him a songwriting credit. So thanks, Sting. <laughs> Rybo, you can uh, uh, you can elaborate on that. Didn't you read the article about that one time? Oh yeah, and he said he made however many millions of dollars, and and he said, yeah. Well, Stuart said, well, yeah, give uh, give Andy some of that money. He said, I spent it already. You know, <laughs> thanks a lot. Puff Daddy, Puff Daddy can use it, but yeah, the Puff Daddy riff is all Andy's riff. It's just the riff. That song is so much that riff. If he didn't come up with that riff, I don't know if it would. It wouldn't have had the same impact that that it does. It's like the riff in Message in a Bottle. It's the same type of right. You yeah. know, Andy wrote that. Definitely, yeah. You know, it stinks of him. Wasn't there like a, some kind of an original arrangement of that too, where it was like a bossa nova or something? He. It was quicker or something like that. I can't remember exactly how it was. There's was, somebody messed with the arrangement on that. All I know is this video was played 24 seven yeah. on MTV. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And uh, what is the snare drum kind of morphs into the ashtray or the ashtray morphs into the snare? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember it had a, it, it was one of the first videos that was black and white, but it had a bluish tint to it. And, uh, I also think they did one with like a red tint and then a yellowish tint. Oh. Um, MTV. Wow. I, I, I just remember this song constantly everywhere, like with or without you. And that yep. it was just yeah. everywhere. Yeah. You couldn't get yeah. away from it. You go, you go to the bathroom, it's like, oh, f- this song is on again. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't deal with it. The thing is, too, is that Sting was so perfect for MTV. I mean, the guy was at this point, too, like he didn't just have his little goofy blonde like he had the spiky hair and the cheekbones like dude that guy was he was the sex symbol of all sex symbols he was perfect for that for mtv he was new wave he looked like yeah uh, new wave personified was sting you know what i mean just everything about him he's the picture right but this song like i love the song don't get me wrong but yeah if i don't hear it again i'm fine (laughs) and like what's the one he wrote if you love somebody, set them free. Yeah, set them free. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to hear that one either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
this band was just so pervasive in pop culture. My eighth grade math teacher, who I, since I'm about to say not nice things about him, I won't name his name, but he had like this, he had like the, the really creepy pedophile mustache and he probably wore a toupee. We're not sure. And he had a super thick New York accent and he was a great math teacher, but it was just funny. He was, and he was like one of those guys that was trying to be hip. And whenever he would pass out our weekly math quizzes, he would say, whatever move you make, I'll be watching you, like trying to get us not to cheat. And, he would, and it, by the end of the year, we were so sick of hearing him talk, like quote the police. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Song by a landslide. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know what? I agree with Charlie too. Probably we all are, we're pretty sick of hearing it. I don't. It's not like messaging a bottle for me. If I, that song comes on the radio, I'll I'll probably change it. I'm tired of it. Sting and Stewart, they almost killed each other in the studio regarding yes. the song. And uh, Hugh Padham or whatever almost left the session during this this particular song. Uh, and then there's like no hi hat in the beginning of the whole song. Just starts. There's like no. It's, I can see just staying, just turning it down, saying, "Ah, just get rid of that." No, I think he's playing <laughs> on the floor tom and the and the, and the snare. Yeah, it's very. It sparse. starts with like a flam, and he doesn't play the hi hat until I think the pre-chorus. Yeah, can't you see that you belong to me or whatever? Yeah. Which, but so this song actually in. 2019 i don't know if you guys looked it up but it, it actually is in it got a, an award for having the most radio plays in history wow yeah so there's a bmi award or whatever that said over 15 million plays or something like that so you know it beat out, it beat out uh, you've lost that loving feeling <laughs> you know andy summers must be a pretty nice guy because i'd be outside of stings out with a shotgun going write me a f- check right f- now yeah <laughs> And just as a quick uh, line of what Ribo said, the recording process was fraught with difficulties as personal tensions between Sting and Copeland came to the fore. Sting and Copeland hated each other with verbal and physical fights in the studio. The tensions almost led to the recording session being canceled until a meeting involving the band and the group's manager, Miles Copeland, resulted in a truce and agreement to continue. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've all been in bands, with the exception of Paul, like, Guys get on your nerves, but can you imagine getting into a fist fight in the studio with your band? I mean, maybe you have, Charlie. I don't know, but I was thinking if it ever gets to that point. <laughs> <laughs> to be well, fair, I, I've probably refereed more band fights than but, you guys yeah. have. Well, <laughs> I was on the road with one of your bands and witnessed fist fights about three or four times with those dudes. I think you were on the last tour before they broke, before the singer got tossed, right? That's the one. Yeah. That's the yeah, one. Yeah. That was the one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now we move on to another uh, Born in the 50s versus King of Pain. Another song that if you never hear it again, <laughs> right? <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> but K- King of Pain starts, I, I think we've done this before, Charlie, where, where we sit down and listen to weird uh, ent- entrances on the drums and everybody's got something to hide. Except for me and my monkey is one. Um, was it House of a Girl Gone Bad? Yeah, that's Girl Gone Bad. And King of Pain is a, another one that comes in kind of strangely. Now, when I brought this up to Stuart, he looked at me like I had three heads, but I've listened to it a bunch of times. There is something weird about the entrance to that song. Am, am I totally off base on this? You guys are drummers. It's, it's weird. It, I don't know. It's just... It doesn't come in on the one. It doesn't come in quite where it's supposed to. It's like a little bit delayed or something. One and a half or something, isn't it? Yeah. 
Oh, wait, I'm not thinking of King of Pain. I'm thinking of Raptor. Bound, 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 bound. There's a little black spot on the sun today. And then it goes bound, bound. Ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's where he comes in. He comes in on the end. One end, right? He's, yeah. Well, my point is, is it like the Beatles? Like, did he do that on purpose? Or is that just when he saw it? Because when I told it to him, he's like, no, I didn't. I didn't come in weird at all. I'm like, and of course I'm just melting. Like, I don't know. I was like, well, sorry. I thought you did. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Never tell a drummer he came in at the wrong time. <laughs> but there is something to it though, isn't there? Right. If you listen to it, it's like you said, the one and. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who's probably got a conflict at this point. What's that? After everything, especially a drummer who's probably got a complex at this point for all the heat he's taken from the doors. It's like, oh. Oh, my God. What a weird lineup that was. Stuart Copeland in the doors? Like, who thought that was a good idea? Very weird. Oysterhead, I understand, but the doors? <laughs> yeah, this song to me, for, this song has always been linked in my head. When I, heard, when I heard Black Hole Sun for the first time from Soundgarden, it just, for some reason, brought me back to King of Pain. And I kind of look at, like, King of Pain as the father of Black Hole Sun. I don't know if anyone else sees that at all. But I, it's, I, I always like this song. This is another one that you just hear it so much. It's just, it's kind of like the fabric of our culture. And I never get sick of it. I always love the line, there's a black hat caught in a high treetop. Yeah. You can visualize that. You can see that. You know, we've all had something, whether it's a kite or a jacket or something. But yeah, I mean, and listen, the born of the 50s, that's a fun little romp, but it's it's pretty forgettable. So King of Pain for me, King of Pain for Paul. Ribo, anything? Uh, I got to go King of Pain. I mean, they're both they're both pretty cool, but King of Pain is 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 awesome. But again, I'm I'm pretty sick of that song, too. I've heard it a million times, but it is <laughs> it is very uh it is very descriptive. Like, like you say, it kind of paints a picture really nicely. Like every, every line it, it you have a vision in your head of what, what it looks like. It paints a really yeah. nice picture, which is pretty cool. And it's dark. So I like that. Th there's a skeleton choking on a crust of bread. It's like, wow. Oh yeah. Charlie, you got anything to say about either song? Um, I'm going to go with King of Pain because it's just a, I like Stuart's intro, the way he comes into the song. <laughs> next go. time i go back to his house i'm taking you guys with me the drummers go see you did come in on a weird time <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of stewart in that song that's just so stewart it's such a, it, it's it, the way he plays the way he'll flam something going into the chorus blah, you know it's yeah like, yeah, you yeah. Know him the way yeah. he he stinks that song up with all that stuff. <laughs> Do you notice how he, he does a lot of double snare hits too with both sticks? Like, yeah, he does it all the time. Yeah, and yeah, like that's I said, you're describing. Slam the sticks. Just he adds that little thing to it. That's just such a little drum hook, you know? Yeah, because he plays with the traditional grip too. That's what you call it, kind of the jazz Charlie wow, Watts thing too. Yeah, he hits yeah, hard. Definitely a monster player. All right, now we get to the uh, the the uh, my uh, my second favorite police song when I was ten. Be my girl, Sally. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the two that you knew, yeah, exactly. Versus wrapped around your finger. Um, I'll start. I remember when I bought Synchronicity, uh, the record, or um, however I got it, probably as a present or something. I really started to get burned out at this point in time because it really rocks. And then, like you said, Paul, side two actually ends with synchronicity too. 
uh, sorry, side one. So synchronicity, so side two is breath, pain, wrapped in your finger and tea in the Sahara. All of those songs are very moody songs. King's a little bit more rocking, but that's pretty much three ballads and one. And for, for us, I just got bogged down, like wrapped around your finger. And they're awesome songs. But as a kid, it was too much for me where it was like, this is great. This is great. There's a ballad. There's another one. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of was always an issue for me. But now, obviously, wrapped around your finger. I mean, what a great chorus. Super descriptive once again. But there's something to be said about a song that combines kind of a Beatles, kind of a kinks hook, along with a, uh, a an ode to a man's blow up doll, <laughs> <laughs> where it just stops and then like like Charlie said, Andy goes into this kind of Monty Python. She came all wrapped in cardboard, all pink and shriveled down. A breath of air was all she needed to make her lose that frown. I took her to the bedroom and pumped her with some life. And later in that moment, the girl became my wife. <laughs> like, what the hell is going on here? I'll take Wrapped Around Your Finger only because of my next choice for the track 10. But it's pretty close because Sally's just, like I said, all I think about is, is you know my name, look up the number, and just that weirdness of the Beatles, which is also kind of a Zappa trait and a Monty Python trait. So, um, But I'll give it finger by a nudge. What do you think, Paul? I'm, I'm going to agree with you completely. The novelty finger is just a little bit more straightforward. Um, I really appreciate the novelty of the blow up doll. Cause that is freaking hysterical. However, <laughs> I, it's just, I, if I'm going to keep going back to the song over and over again, I mean, wrapped around your finger. And again, this is all, where was I 20 years ago, as opposed to today? Right. I think I find myself again, like I said, earlier the older i get the more i'm able to identify with a lot of synchronicity and again i think there's just like these these elements that tie it together you know wrapped around your finger um and i'll be wrapped around your finger it's like you know that that identity that you have with somebody and i i feel like it's just i'll go back to this one because of that contact you know that lyrical context gotcha what do you think charlie i agree with paul about that uh the lyrical content in this song is uh when you're in a relationship, it kind of, kind of hits you, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but this song, I, I have to be in the mood to hear this song. Right. If it comes on and I'm having a good time, and this comes on, it's just like a downer for me. <laughs> it's like uh, I don't want to hear this song, and that's the way <laughs> I feel the rest of this record goes. Yeah. It's just kind of, eh, you know, nothing really pumps me up, really. You know. It's very atmospheric. Well, it's, it's not. It's not a happy. Video. It's not a happy record. No, it's not. And but the video was beautiful. I love the, the the way it was candles, everything with the can candles, and it was it was great. And I think that made me like the song a bit more. You know, like most of the time back then, videos would probably make you like a song that yeah. you really didn't care for too much. You know, mm. like girls just want to have it? fun. Oh yeah, it's a good song, but the video is fucking hilarious. You know, it's great. It's so fun. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. And I never had I never had MTV. So it's so crazy because you guys keep referring to the the videos. I never saw the videos until my VH1 years later. So it's like for me, I never saw these videos as a kid growing up because I lived in the woods in Connecticut and we didn't have cable. We didn't have MTV. It didn't it didn't come to where we lived, so we couldn't have it. So I literally never saw these videos until I worked for VH1. And it was it's it's so interesting to hear people talk about how the videos 
shaped the way that they hear the music because I never had that advantage. It was. You didn't have. And YouTube, I don't know. Is it an advantage or is it a disadvantage? At the end of the day? <laughs> no, you do. Yeah, yeah. hey, <laughs> hey, dude, you think you lived in the woods? You lived, you lived in the woods of Connecticut. We lived in the woods of Winnipeg, Canada. We didn't have no f- much mu- or MTV either. We might have had much music, maybe. Much music, right? <laughs> We still don't have yeah. YouTube. I don't even know how I'm doing this right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On your Much Commodore 64, right? right. <laughs> he had one. You uh, had one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rye, what do you think? It's funny oh, that I said that because um, we didn't have cable either You know, when we were in the Bronx. We had this station called U68. Uh-huh. And uh, you had to go all the way to the channel 68. And it was from New Jersey. And they would play <laughs> videos and stuff. It, but, yeah, you know, and then there was another show called Friday Night Videos. Friday Night Videos, we had that. Say, Friday Night Videos is what I saw yeah. everything on, and then I had was one, one friend of ours. There was another show too, besides Friday Night Videos. See, and then one of my friends would tape Headbangers Ball, like once a month. He would tape Headbangers Ball, and we would literally pass the tape around so we could <laughs> see like the metal videos. But, yeah. but we obviously, you weren't seeing the police on Headbangers yeah. Ball. Yeah, the Power Hour. <laughs> You know, what's funny is if you guys watch Fox News with all the political coverage, there's a guy called John Roberts, and he's always front row at all the presidential uh, press conferences or whatever. He he came from Canada. His name was J.D. Roberts, and he was the host of the Power Hour. So this will be the equivalent of like, Jam- of like you know, Jamie Josta being the, the court reporter. For- <laughs> 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 yeah. Wow. Rivo, which song do you choose between the two? Well, the thing about like Be My Girl Sally is I really love the quirkiness of the police. And, you know, that's a, a Stuart yeah. Copeland influence. And that really made me kind of get obsessed with the police. I think if they if they were all Sting kind of serious songs, I wouldn't have had the same affection that I have for, for the police. And so Be My Girl Sally just kind of really just throws it in your face that these guys are you know they don't care or they i don't know what it is but they yeah they, they're willing to go a little out there it just in the way that mother kind of being on synchronicity just to show that hey we're we're kind of different than your average band but that being said uh you know wrapped around your finger i th- that might be my favorite song on the second side of synchronicity Actually, I love the. There's so many. The guitar parts on there are so amazing, and you can't tell if it's keyboards or if it's guitars. There's all these like little guitar swells, and it's got that sort of exotic sound to it. But it's moving towards more of a sting solo mm-hmm. kind of career. But it's it's got that world music. There's something really alluring about it that kind of takes you on a on a journey it takes you kind of away which is is pretty cool and there's some great splash work on there from from stewart and stuff i think that's a great song so i'm gonna have to go with that especially when it uh, it feels like it could just be staying on his own until the drums kick in at that certain part with the double double crack double snare Ka-chong. all right final track uh masoko tanga versus t in the sahara um what do you think, Charlie? Uh, this, well, I like both these songs, but I, th- I, I think "Tea in the Sahara" reminds me of "Walking on the Moon," mm. and it's definitely something that it would have been on Sting's first solo album. Totally yeah, has right. that feel. Does it totally does? But uh, just the, I don't know, man. This is not an easy one for me either because I love the way. The, that album ends. The first album ends. Um, I'm going to go with. 
I don't know. Can I come back? (laughs) 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 This is the hardest one. Okay, I'll jump in. I'm going to make it easier for you, Charlie. I'm a Masoko Tanga guy all the way. From the moment I heard the song, here's, here's one of my favorite elements of The Police that people never talk about. It's almost like Gene Simmons and Kiss. Sting's bass playing is f***ing great. It's second to none. And you saw that on the reunion tour. They did, uh, when the world starts running down, you do the best of what's still around. They did a big jam at the end, which was all Sting and Andy. And Sting is so great. And Mosoko Tanga is basically a Sting bass solo. And all Andy does is the Alex Lyson, eh, eh. And all it is is And then here's the best part. You think that he's just um uh like kind of scatting over the top. Yeah. But it's also like Masoko Tanga is Swahili. And he's kind of scatting, but he's almost like like here's the lyrics. Remember the ones that we talked about as far as uh uh like a like a trollop on a red light street and the humility kick in the crotch, or here's another one. Don't buy bossy de la lambombe, ping pong dolly zole da la lo, kiwa wadi kamalido de. I don't think he's singing perfect Swahili, but it stings. So he probably does know how to speak Swahili because why wouldn't he? You know, <laughs> right. he can have sex for 90 minutes. Why can't he speak Swahili and, and play great bass? So he probably T- watched Help. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, once again, Tea in the Sahara, great tune, but it was just too much for me. It's, there's too many ballads in a row, and the, the Masoko has the, the, the energy that I love about the police, and Sting's just immaculate bass playing. So I'm taking that all the way. Okay, I'm going with Chris, too. All right, Masoka. What do you think, Paul? I love Tea in the Sahara. I got to go Tea in the Sahara. And I, 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 I totally vibe with everything you're saying. Uh, tea in the Sahara to me, and again, it goes back to as far as the album goes – it's such a, uh, I feel like it's just a perfect ending for the album. There's like a hopefulness to it. There's a hopefulness to it, but there's also just the dark despair. It's, it's, it's a, like you feel like, oh, there's the optimism of having tea in the Sahara, the, the whole meeting with it. And then in the end, it doesn't happen and they just rot away like waiting. I feel like it's the, the perfect, um, it's airy. It's got this like ethereal feel to it as it ends the album. And, it's you feel like it's happy, but it's just dark and brutally sad. And I feel like it's just the perfect ending to this record. And the perfect ending to the police's career, to be honest with you, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very good Rivo. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys have all said. I mean, it's it is a, it's it's a depressing ending for the album. It just leaves you kind of wanting more. You know, it's it it's leaves you with that feeling in your gut. I don't know, and and maybe that's kind of why i would almost want to pick Maso- masako tango i can't even pronounce it but uh it kind of and that song kind of sounds like tequila to me though that's i've always thought of that i could just <laughs> imagine Wee herman dancing to that song and it kind of throws me into a different uh, head space but you know it's cool cool drums in there too and it, it it's another one of their the sort of police thing where they just had to come up with the track and they just you could tell they just basically banged it out in like one or two takes it's a jam it's got that nice yeah and i i that's another thing that i always loved about the police too not everything was so refined you know and mm-hmm. definitely synchronicity that whole album is very refined compared to all of their other albums but especially the first one one of the best jams that they've ever made a song into is on Zenyata Mandata, Voices in My Head. Mm-hmm. 
Oh. It's it's like one of the best songs, and like nobody talks about. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It's so amazing. Stewart plays so great on that song. Amazing, too. amazing. On that. And and that's and for the reunion. That jam that I told you about. It starts with voices. And then it morphs. It, then it morphs into when the world keeps running down. You do the best of what's still around. So it was a big, long kind of eight-minute piece, which was basically just an instrumental. So it was very, very cool uh, stuff. And also, too, just once again, the, the comparison between the Beatles and the Police. Look how the Police ended their, you know, kind of album release career in comparison to how the Beatles left theirs with, you know. Uh, and in the end, the love you make is equal to the love you take. And this one ends with like this tea in the Sahara and we're all dead and we're done. We're all dying in the desert with sand running through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just also, it's also just funny because you talk about like the last two songs on the, on Outlandis. It's, you've got a blow up doll. And then you say something to remind Ribo, you said something that reminds you of tequila with Pee Wee Herman dancing. And it's just like the, it's just like the, I feel like it's how the band changed and morphed and, like you said, I think right. Chris earlier, this totally just bridges us right now to the pretentious Sting solo career. Yeah. And I'm a fan of the beginning of the pretentious. I'm a huge fan of the beginning of the pretentious Sting solo career. And then it just got so far gone. Yeah. He started to lose me. And it was like, um, but this, this is like, this ending is nothing like you, you don't think of Pee Wee Herman when you hear this ending, you know, it's yeah, we, there's we no all, blow up dolls on this album. We all like dream of the blue turtles, but we all skipped stings loot album. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we will say that there is a bonus track. If you had the cassette of murder by numbers, but we're talking the vinyl. So, um, if anybody says, well, there was a, a, a 11th track, there was, but it was a bonus track. So this album ends in T in the Sahara. So, uh, our, our, our debate comes to an end and now we basically have the final question of which album do you choose synchronicity or outlandish d'amour as your uh, favorite of the two, Paul. And I'll, I'll go first since I've said this repeatedly already. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. It's, it's what is synchronicity? It's, it's synchronicity. Yeah. Yeah. Synchronicity is, it's one of my desert Island picks. It's, uh, one of my favorite albums of all time and it's synchronicity by a landslide. And I love Outlandis. I love the whole police catalog, but Synchronicity to me is up there with it's up there with Perfect Records. It's up there with Dark Side of the Moon for me. I just I love this record that much. Ribo, yeah, man, I love Synchronicity. is one of my favorite albums of all time. I think it's just written. It's immaculate. It's just put together perfectly. I love it, especially if you put Murder by Numbers on there. But I know we're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it. Don't it's, the Voldemort. it's the Voldemort of songs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I have to go with that. But at the same time, I mean, probably I would put on Outlandis maybe before Synchronicity. Synchronicity is almost like a whole, I want to listen to the whole album all the way through where Outlandis is. I can pick, you know, songs off there and, and just really rock out to that. And, you know, they, they're both so different. It's really, it's almost apples and oranges to compare them. Yeah. But I, you know, I think if I, Pressed, I'd have to choose synchronicity. Well, well Rabo, what you just said is interesting because, like I said, I'm a vinyl fanatic, and it, it's it, synchronicity is one of those albums I don't mind just having Alexa play. You know what I mean? Play, play synchronicity. Now she's going to start playing it. I can't say that, but um, <laughs> I, I don't uh, like it. She, literally, she just started to. Um, but 
Outlandis is one you go to on vinyl. It just Outlandis has like to me a much better vinyl feel to it. And Synchronicity almost it's like the dawning of that digital age where you could listen to it digitally and as a full album. It has a different it does, it's not as vinyl geared as the other one I don't think. Good point, but, yeah. What do you think Charlie? What's your choice? One album is immature, one album is mature. I mm. I'm going to go for the immature one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it's just raw and it's uh, it's the police. It's their first album and there's so many great songs off that record. And um, it excites me when I hear it. When I listen to Synchronicity, no offense, it just doesn't excite me like that first album does. Kind of makes me want to just have tea in the Sahara. Until <laughs> 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 Synchronicity 2 comes on, then I'm, then I'm up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got to agree. I, I think you can't deny how much of a monster synchronicity is. I think it's one of the reasons why we're kind of, Charlie and I, kind of poo-pooing it a bit. Any album that has four giant singles like this one has, that's why I think we don't really need to hear it as much. So I'm taking synchronicity, but I will say this. I think that the one, two, three punch of Outlandus of Next to You, So Lonely, and Roxanne uh, blows away the one, two, three punch of, of synchronicity. And it might even blow away all the other albums as well. So they came out of the gate just roaring. And once again, that's why we all love the police. There's only five albums to choose from, and they're all different in a lot of ways, which no band has been able to do that with the exception of the Beatles, like even guns and roses, they went a different direction, but then it was done at the end of use your losing. So I think just um, a really great indication of the beginning of this band that had an a album and the end of this band that had an A-plus album, and all the ones in between were B-pluses or A's as well. So no other rock band will ever have that legacy like The Police did. A trio. A trio, exactly. Did The Police end as a ballad band? Yeah. Like, just if you look, what, like when you I look at it, they ended as a ballad band. They really did. No, they actually well, ended on that terrible remix. That's <laughs> right. Of Don't Pass the Post. But let's, let's look at the singles, though. The singles were Every Breath You Take, then wrapped around your finger, then synchronicity two, then King of Pain. So singles wise, they didn't end as a ballad band because they started with the two ballads, and then had the kind of the because I consider King of Pain to be more of a rocker than anything. It's not a ballad per se, but um, I think if you look at the output of the second the tempo, yeah. But I would say that it ended more of a sting kind of ballady band than they did. You know, this is the guy that five years earlier on Fallout or sorry, Dead End Job was yelling Kunt! <laughs> at the end of the song and five years later he's having tea in the sahara so you can see his <laughs> but, he, but the thing about those guys too is each one of them had an identity yes stewart's identity was just like he was such a monster behind that kit you know and just uh and sting too just that yeah that identity and then you had andy was the only guitar player and yet he had this type of uh I don't know why I keep wanting to say like Robert Fripp type of. Uh, well, of course, that's that's his one of his heroes, man. That's what he had. Oh, well, that's one of Fripp's heroes stuff. too. And he always played a telly, and uh, and he influenced so many things. Like I don't know if there would be an edge without Andy Summers. Oh yeah, or, and yeah. that that's what I was just. Gonna, we we've kind of we've been raised in a culture of more and more and more. And you know, if you're not Eddie Van Halen, if you're not Slash, if you're not like the Angus Young, 
you got to be larger than life. And especially with guitar, everybody thinks the guitar, it has to be larger than life. But Andy really, he was, he was about atmosphere. He was about mood and he didn't, he didn't need to, he didn't need to blow you away with a solo because he did what was best for the song. And that's what made the band what they were. And it's the same exact, it's so prevalent in trios. I think look at, and like we've been talking about Alex, it's the same thing. He wasn't trying to steal the thunder from anybody. Look, what works best for the song. I also think Charlie's point, if had there been no police, I don't think Rush would have been quite like they were in the 80s when you get to signals and grace under pressure and power windows. I love that era of Rush, but it's so police influenced, especially now that Charlie pointed that out. That yeah. that walking on the moon chord, you know, you hear that yeah. so much in those uh, it's, Rush songs. It's the same chord as, uh, oh, we're the last one still alive. Oh, with a living to the thing. What is that? Yeah, that's Red Sector A. Bow, ow, 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 ow. Down, down, ow. It's the same chord. Yeah. It's the police. Yeah, that's and it. It's so it's I've, I've never until you brought that up because now I'm thinking and it's it's like that earlier rush was heavier. The earlier rush had that little bit more of a metallic feel to it, and then they evolved. And by the time you get to um, why am I flaking on the album? Um, hold your fire. I was flaking on the yeah, album yeah, title. Yeah. Um, by the time you get to hold your fire, hold your fire is kind of like synchronicity. You know, it's not. Well, it's that all not, started with signals in '82, which is right when the police were at their peak, kind of thing, too, right? So yeah, yep. that's the most police sounding for me, at least. That's when they really yeah. adapted to. Wow, that sounds a lot like the police. I think that uh, now that we've discovered this, in a few months, we should get together again and do another classic album clash for. Regatta de Blanc versus Zenyatta Mondata. That might be a good way to go. Those two yeah. are hard. Yeah. Those two those are really hard. That might be that'd be harder than the, that might be a better debate. So we, we hooked them with this one, and then we'll get even <laughs> deeper, uh, even nerdier <laughs> if that's possible. For the first second. one free. I'll start stu- I'll st- I'll have notes next time. This is top of my head. I'll have notes like Charlie. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. This has been great. And uh, let's do it. We'll do the next. We'll do album two and three next time. And can we call Sounds Stuart great. at the end of it and tell him what we voted? <laughs> <laughs> I've got backup, Stuart. You did play a weird time <laughs> thing during the campaign. <laughs> An intervention for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'll love that. He'll come over with his glasses and his headband to beat the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs>